turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 6. You can open your Bibles up, set them right there on your laps. We'll go to a couple of other scriptures. We're not until about halfway through and towards the end. Give you folks an idea of when it's coming. Oh, it's almost to an end. All right, we're at the last scripture, the second one. <laughs> it's almost over. We can go and take off. <laughs> First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, we read these words. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, we read these words. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If titled today's message, Strong Meat, our Lord has some strong meat for us to digest. What is the milk of the word first? Well, in newborns, it's the way, it's, it's that which is easy to digest. Babies, they can't eat an apple. They can't eat a big old steak. They can't eat packaged hot dogs. They can't eat lemons either. I know. Now, God, isn't it amazing what God has done? Isn't it amazing how he's created these bodies? Mothers give milk. A nourishment for the babies that they can take with those fresh stomachs, those fresh throats, not even completely covered with the stuff that they need yet. The acids haven't even fully made the stomach what it is yet. Yet God has produced milk for the kids. The sincere milk of the word. Something easy to digest. We can all understand that, right? In the doctrines of the gospel, now there's only one gospel, but doctrines, that word means teachings. And the doctrines of the gospel. The gospel. Of divine sovereignty. What is easy milk? Eternal predestination. That's pretty easy to, to take. Okay, so the Lord, the Lord chose me from before the world was that I would be his. Okay, that's, that's I, I like that. I like that. Nice and easy to swallow. It's easy. How about free election? Now, I know the world doesn't take that very well, but God's people take it pretty well, don't we? We, we like election. We, we know. By God's word, we know the truth is that I would have never come to Christ if he hadn't called me with the power of God behind that call. So we like election. That's easy for us to swallow. It's not that... You know, we take that. It's, it's, it's soft as milk to the soul. Particular 
effectual redemption. God redeemed a people. Not all mankind. Not everyone who has walked this earth, but he's redeemed a particular people unto himself. He's redeemed them completely. There's nothing for them to do. He's provided it all. That's not hard to take, is it? That's actually that's actually the easy yoke that he talks about. Those of you who are heavy burdened, come come and take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. The milk of the gospel. Irresistible grace. And the everlasting security of God's elect in Christ or the baby milk, the baby food of the gospel. Many who love to nurse on those points. Many of those who love to hear about that over and over. And I'm one of those. Don't take. Well, I'm not. I'm not doing this. Just like Pastor Dean said, every time somebody does this, they're doing this right back at themselves. See those three fingers there? Yeah. Love to nurse upon election, predestination. Ooh. But when you get to strong meat, I'm talking about the things that the world stumbles over greatly. Are you saying, John, that God's people can still sin? I'm saying they do still sin. That's strong meat. Here in Luke chapter 6, our Lord, our Master, proclaims some of the most important things taught in Holy Scriptures. Spiritual truths that are difficult to swallow. Hard words is how some of his disciples said about it. Hard words. Some may leave and walk no more with him after reading these words. I pray that our God that the Holy Spirit may give you and I eyes and to see and ears to hear and hearts to heed to the things that he inspired Luke to write here at verse 20 through 26. Would you read with me? And he, speaking of our Lord Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now. Now remember, he looked upon his disciples. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice you in rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is greater in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. And then notice the turn here. 
Notice the turn. Our Lord is just, He's looking at His disciples. He's facing you and I right now. Through the preaching of His words, this is Him speaking to us, telling how blessed we are for these things, to rejoice in these things, and then He says this, Woe, but woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to false prophets. In the passage before us, our Master is speaking specifically to his disciples. To those who were truly his disciples and and to those disciples that were in disciples that were disciples in name only. They lip serviced. They spoke the words of God with the lips. But they couldn't speak it from the heart. Look back at verses 12 through 17 of that chapter. And it came to pass in those days that he, speaking of our Lord, went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. So we see here he's choosing his disciples, he's calling them unto him, those that were following him at the time, and he chose twelve of them and named them as his apostles. Fourteen, Verse 14, we read those names. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and... Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor. And he came down with them. So you see what I said a moment ago. Our Lord is speaking to his people, to his disciples, to those that he had called to be with him. This is the strong meat. We're, we're getting a little bit into the strong meat now. One of those was the devil. Did he not say in his word, I have chose you twelve, yet one of you is the devil? <coughs> that sounds like a little piece of gristle going through my steak almost. That's strong meat. That's a little tougher to swallow than that beauty of the doctrines of grace, isn't it? In these seven short verses that we just read, our Lord lays the axe to the root of the tree. He distinguishes clearly between true believers and those who just give lip service on Sunday mornings. This would be a good day, folks. This would be a good day for us to examine ourselves 
are we in the faith? Our Lord makes four great contrasts between true believers and false professors. First, he gives us the Beatitudes, which characterize the true believer, and then he gives us four woes, which characterize a false professor. Let's consider the Beatitudes, shall we? In Luke 6, 20 and 23, our Savior gives us four words of blessings, four Beatitudes, four conditions of true blessedness and happiness by which all true believers are characterized. Am I one of these men and women whom the Son of God pronounces blessed? Blessed. Am I one of these? The list is both remarkable and it's also shocking, isn't it? It's completely contrary to the opinion of the world, isn't it? Here our Lord singles out those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are sorrowful, those who are hated, and he calls them blessed. How can it be? How can that be? How can one who is receiving so much trouble from the world around him, how can one who is so destitute that he can't even afford to buy a, a meal for him today. That's not who the Lord is talking about. God's word is spiritual. We must, we must believe in truth and in spirit. God's word is spiritual. Job was a very wealthy man before the Lord allowed the devil to afflict him and after the Lord removed the devil's afflictions from him. So we know it's not talking about the things of this world, don't we? It's talking about the poor in spirit, those who know that we are broke, those who have been shown that we have nothing to offer God. Poor. Blessed be the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Folks, the world doesn't know they're poor. I go to church every Sunday. Don't tell me I'm poor in religion. God's people have to be shown. We have to be shown our destitute, our deadness if that's a word. We must be shown how poor we are in the Spirit. It's called a broken and contrite heart. <clears throat> Am I one of these? Am I one of the blessed who are poor? If I am, then the kingdom of God is mine. If I've been brought to know the Lord Jesus Christ is the only righteousness for me to get to heaven, maybe I am. Maybe I am. Did you notice there that the Lord didn't say, Blessed are the poor? That's not what he said at all. What did he say? Let's go back and look at that again. Verse 21. Blessed, or verse uh, 20. Blessed be 
ye. You. Those of you who the Lord is speaking to right now, right here, blessed be you. Poor. You who have been made poor. You who have seen the, the depth of your depravity. In the Sermon of the Mount, over in Matthew 5, 1, we read it this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed are the poor in, in the things of the world, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit are those men and women who have been taught by God the utter depravity of their condition, the corruption and the sinfulness of their hearts. How many people have we seen over the years that I've come here? At least two, maybe three. Maybe another one on Friday night that was here for our Friday night Bible study. He didn't leave too happy. How many have we said, I'm not that big of a sinner? What are you? What am I, John? That's, don't answer me. But ask yourself, am I? Do I believe God's word when he says the heart is desperately wicked? Who can know it? The poor are men and women who are convicted of sin, who are convicted of righteousness and judgment by God the Holy Spirit. The poor in spirit confess their sins and we find forgiveness only in one place and that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not in making our decision and coming to the front. Not in taking part of this table. Not in getting into this tub in the back here. But in Christ. That's our salvation. That's our righteousness. Our Master said, Blessed are ye poor. It's like saying to me, Blessed are you, John, even though you're as poor as anything could be. That's what it's saying to me. Even though I have nothing to offer my God, I'm blessed. Isn't that wonderful? Because knowing I don't have anything to offer Him, I still have Him. He is mine. I am His. <laughs> That's great. You see the happiness that though we're poor? You see how you can be poor yet have everything? He, he gave His only begotten Son in our stead. How shall He not give us all things? Romans 8. How shall He not give us everything? We read here that our Lord Jesus chose 12 apostles and He sent them out we read later that he sent them out to evangelize the world. He sent them out without any means. He said, don't worry about what you go out with. Don't, don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about food. I'll, I'll give you all your need. And they went out into the world with nothing. And God gave them everything they needed. Didn't he? Gave everything he needed. So it's not talking about physical things. It's talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. Poverty itself 
folks, is not virtuous. It's not a blessing. Some will take what I just said, this strong meat, and they'll say, well, I'll give everything away. I'll give everything I got away. There was a millionaire one day back in 1994 or 1984, wherever, I don't know, somewhere back in those years, a millionaire. The guy had millions of dollars. I don't know where his money came from or where it was invested in, but he was a millionaire. He had airplanes. He had four airplanes from what I understand from the story. Airplanes are expensive. And one guy, one preacher said you need to sell everything and become poor, and he went out and did it. And then that preacher who was prophesying, everything he prophesied didn't come to pass. Not one thing. That's not what this is talking about. It's teaching you and I that though we are that man in the corner with nothing, beating our chest, saying, I have nothing to offer my God, we have everything in the universe. That's what he's saying. You may not have anything right now, but you have eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what could be more than that? I've heard people say, oh man, when I get to heaven, I can't wait for the rewards that, I, that I've earned as, as I'm going through this world and, and bringing people to Christ. <laughs> oh, my Savior is all I need. How about you? Do you need anything else? I'm telling you, if you got Him, you got everything. Everything. Poverty is not a virtue. It's not a blessing. In fact, poverty is often often the, the result of divine judgment. In our text, the Lord Jesus is talking about willing, deliberate, self-imposed poverty. This is not self-imposed poverty like hermits or monks but a poverty men and women knowingly bring upon themselves by following Christ. Did you catch that? What am I giving up in following Christ? I'm giving everything up that I used to think I have. I'm giving up the righteousness that I think I used to have. I wasn't that bad of a person. I never killed anybody. I gave up that righteousness when I found there wasn't it was no righteousness. It was nothing more than John thinking a little better of himself. He's also not talking about a poverty that comes from the result of laziness because man pretends to be spiritual at work. There are folks who spend a lot of time in their Christian, their religious realms saying, well, I, I don't have time to, to work. I, I, I've got too much going on in the church. That's not what that's talking about either. No, it's a poverty which comes when a man or a woman counts the cost and forsakes all to follow Christ. No. 
that means. Personally. I'm asked to forsake what I believe so that somebody can be happy. I don't know that I can go into it any deeper than that. I can't unfollow Christ. I can't turn away from my Lord. There's no place to turn When the Lord was speaking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, many of his disciples said, that's too hard a saying. And they turned and walked away. And the Lord turned to his disciples and he said, will you also go away? And they said, well, we can go. Only thou hast the words of life. can't forsake my Lord. I can't turn from the truth He has laid upon my heart. I'm going to run out of time today. I'm sorry. Our Lord declares, Blessed are ye that hunger now for ye shall be filled. In Matthew 5, 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord says these words. He says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Our Lord is declaring all that are born of God hunger and thirst for the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus. It says, Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Folks, this world is not easy for any of us, is it? Some of us are going through some pretty tough trials right now. Some of us are being weaned from what we hold precious in this world. And that doesn't mean something physical. That could mean family member. That could mean somebody you love. But the day is coming when all of this is going to be behind us. turn to our Savior and we're going to say it was right. And we're going to say it was right with joy in our hearts. In addition to the sorrows of this world, those who know and trust and love our Lord, we follow Christ. We carry burdens, yes, and they cause us to weep. We carry a heavy load 
of our corrupt nature and constant sin. We carry the load of care for souls of men. We carry for the heavy load of care for the church, the kingdom and the glory of our God in this world. Yet those who sow in tears will reap the day we shall laugh. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Time for laughter shall soon come. We shall at last be filled with consolation. Listen to Luke chapter 22 through 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast you out, your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Our Lord here is talking about religious persecution. Forget your religion for just a moment. I, I know you believe these strong feelings about the Lord over here, but just put them aside for a moment. Can't you just put them aside for a moment and accept me for who I am? Rejoice you in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did your fathers unto the prophets. Our Lord here is talking about religious persecution. Prosecution brought upon us because of the gospel we believe. The words used here are used specifically with regard to the ecclesiastics time, censure of the of the discipline. Our Lord could not have used stronger words to picture the heaping of man's wrath upon us for what we believe. You talk about somebody hating our belief. I've shared with you about my aunt who poked me in the chest so hard and turned into the most evil-looking person I've ever seen because I preach election. Now, here we go, four woes, and I'll make this quick. Woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers of the false prophets. That's verses 24 through 26. Stronger, more cutting, condemning statements than these cannot be found anywhere in the New Testament. Woe unto you, our Lord said. So what do these words mean? Don't imagine that the mere possession of wealth is a curse. I already shared with you, Job was the richest man in all of his country. He had all kinds of riches. So we know the Lord's not talking about the wealth of this world. It's talking about the wealth of Christ. Do you have everything in Him? Is everything you need in the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior? Or do we need more? I'm not saying don't go out and do the best you can to provide for your family. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that when going out and doing whatever it is, whether it's providing for your family, whether it's visiting folks, whatever it might be do, feeding the hungry, 
If that comes before the Lord Jesus and worshiping Him, then you are turning towards the riches of this world. And if you do that, you don't have the riches of Christ. This is the strong meat. The woes that He was telling His disciples. Now remember, there was one that we know of who this went right over their head. If you're God's child, I want you to pay attention to what we just read. This is where we come to that examination of ourselves. Is the worldly things more important to me? Or is my Savior? Almost all the trouble we go through in this world is our Lord weaning us from this world. When it's time for you and I to leave this world behind and go with our Savior, there'll be nothing behind us that we care about. Nothing. Whether it be physical, whether it be relationships, no matter what it is, are the things of this world more important than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what our Lord is declaring. Let men think and say what they may. Those who are poor because they choose to follow Christ and serve Him rather than enrich themselves are possessors of the kingdom of God. Those who choose to seek and get riches will perish in their moth-eaten treasures. Those who prefer to be hungry in doing the will of God shall be filled forever, but those who live to fill their bellies and their lust shall be hungry forever in hell. Those who choose a path of sorrow for the glory of God carry the weight of heavy matters upon their hearts. They shall be filled with laughter complete satisfaction in heaven. Those who live here for the pleasure of their soul, of their flesh, shall find nothing but sorrow forever in hell. Those who prefer the favor and the praise of God to the favor and the praise of men shall be numbered among the sons of God forever in everlasting praise. But those who prefer the favor and the praise of men to the favor and the praise of God shall be objects of everlasting contentment before God. Now it comes down to this, folks. It comes down to this very thing. Preeminence. Who has preeminence in your heart? You? Or Christ Jesus? Turn over to Colossians chapter 1 and we'll just read a few verses over there. Colossians is right after Philippians. You got Ephesians, Philippians, and, and Colossians, chapter one. You know, I was going to read a lot more, but I just want to go straight to verse eighteen. Verse eighteen, we read these words, and he, speaking of our Lord. Now, go back to verse 17. Let's, let's, let's start 16. 16 through 18. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. What has the preeminence in our hearts today, folks? Is it our Savior? Or is it in our relationships? Or is it in our personal belongings? God help us to make it His, Him our preeminence.